Well, come on, welcome to church. Hey, before we go any further, I wanna take a second, look into the camera and just welcome everybody that is joining us online. It's so good to have you with us. Come on, can you help me welcome our Global X fam? So good to have you with us. And if you're newer, if I haven't had the chance to meet you, my name is Jesse, and I have the great honor and privilege of being our next-gen pastor. And in case you're not familiar with that language, that's just fancy words for saying I get to help lead and oversee our kids and youth ministry, and it's just such an honor to get to be here with you today. And if you've missed it, we are in a series right now called Kings and Queens, where we're looking back at some of the kings and queens of the Old Testament and learning from their life. And then even though some of these people we may consider to be kind of heroes of the Bible, like we're very familiar with their names, and what they did, we're actually learning a lot from the mistakes that they made, and so hopefully we don't continue in that same way. Real quick, before we get started, I'm curious, how many of you here today have a family heirloom? You've got a piece of furniture, a trinket, a piece of jewelry, okay, a lot of us. Now, I feel kind of bad uh, admitting what I'm about to say, but I'm not super sentimental when it comes to family heirlooms. It seems like a lot of people, they just... It just matters a lot to them, and I think it's cool, but it just doesn't seem to carry the same amount of weight to me. Funny story about one of the family heirlooms I have. So one of them is this quilted blanket that's handmade, and that's been in my family for multiple generations. And kind of the tradition with this blanket is that all the newborn babies come home from the hospital in it. And so, yeah, that's cute, right? I was brought home from the hospital in it, my dad was, and so on and so forth. And so it's cute, right? Now, when we were pregnant, and I say we, my wife was pregnant, I wasn't, uh, with our first son, Milo, it came time to pack the hospital bags, we gotta go, we were given the blanket. It's your turn, carry it on the tradition. And so we packed, we packed the bag, and um, uh, with Milo, we were induced, again, I said we, I wasn't induced, that'd be weird. Um, we take the blanket, and we go through the process. She labors for like 30-some hours. We don't sleep. We're there for multiple days. And if you're a parent, you kind of know that shell-shocked feeling of, oh, my goodness, there is a small child in the world that wasn't here an hour ago, and it is my responsibility. And you don't sleep a whole lot. You don't eat a whole lot those first couple days. And so it comes time to finally go home. This is where the blanket is supposed to come into play, right? So they come into the room. We're signing all the paperwork. They're asking us all these kind of weird questions. And people don't tell you the weird kind of questions they ask you when you're about to leave the hospital with a baby. Like one of the questions I remember was, hey, do you know how hot the water gets in your house? Shouldn't you ask the water company? I don't know. What difference does it make? Just give me my baby. Let me go home. And they're like, all right, well, you gotta go get the car seat and bring it here so we can make sure that, you know, you know how to put the baby in the car seat. I'm like, oh yeah, there's a car here somewhere that belongs to me. I've been here a week, I don't know even where it is. So we get him dressed, we get him in the car, and we have what I would consider the first moment of real peace in our newly formed family of three when we are on the road on 270 and Milo falls asleep in the car seat, Sarah's sitting in the back looking at him, I'm driving, it's a sunny day, it's the afternoon, there's no traffic, and there's peace. Until I look in the back seat and realize the family heirloom blanket is not in the car seat. It's not laying over him. We've been parents outside the hospital for 10 minutes and we've already screwed it up. Worse yet, the blanket's not even in the car. We left it at the hospital. It's like, oh, jeez, great, we're off to an awesome start as parents. So, of course, call the hospital, we go back, get it. They kept it for us. We threw it over the car seat, and then we live happily ever after. And what's funny about that story is, I'm sure there are at least a few of us in here today that uh, we've inherited a couple of family heirlooms that we wish 
we would have left at the hospital when we were born. And I'm not talking about, you know, that ugly throw pillow that's been around forever that smells weird, but you can't throw it away because it's got sentimental value. I'm talking about maybe there's a behavior, a pattern, an addiction that has plagued your family for generations and generations, and now you maybe are starting to see the effects of it in your life. And there are some of us in here today with just that little bit of an intro, we already know our thing, right? Like, hey, listen, I know my family's got some problems. If you look back at my family tree, it looks like something out of the latest season of Stranger Things. <laughs> season four, come on, so good. If you haven't watched Stranger Things, what are you doing? But then there are others of us in here that when this topic is brought up, it's a little bit weird for us. Because maybe we are able to identify maybe one or two generational patterns that we would like to end but we're a little torn because for all intents and purposes, we came from great families. Mom and dad did their absolute best and they set us up for success. And so when we think about, well, I think actually there are some things that I want to end. We feel maybe a little guilty. Like in maybe some ways we're dishonoring our parents or dishonoring their legacy. And before we even get started, I just wanna say that that's not the case at all. That if you really did have great parents and you've identified a couple of these generational things that you want to break, you're not dishonoring their legacy. You're actually honoring them by building on the foundation they laid for your life. So right out of the gate, let's not buy the lie that somehow by trying to make our lives better and set the next generation up for success that we somehow dishonor the generations before. Because these generational things can be tricky. They're, they're kind of on a spectrum, right? They're some of the heavier things. And those are easier to identify. Addiction, patterns of divorce and broken marriages. But then there's the other things that are kind of sneaky. There are the things like, was mom or dad a workaholic? That there was always work to be done and they struggled to take a day off and they struggled to take vacation. And when they were at home, you could kind of tell when you were a kid that their head was somewhere else. And now that you're an adult, maybe you struggle with the same thing now. You struggle to really be present when you're at home. Or maybe this, maybe in your family, conflict just was never talked about. Like when there was something awkward happening, nobody was allowed to talk about it. And when you got into a family gathering and it was Thanksgiving, Christmas, whatever, there was a million pound elephant in the room, but nobody was allowed to talk about it. And now in your adult life, you clam up and get really freaked out anytime there's even the slightest bit of conflict. See, these things can be sneaky and they can affect our lives in ways that we really don't see. And so today, I wanna to look at a king that inherited one of these fun and beautiful family heirlooms that we call generational curses. Maybe you've heard that term before if you've been around church. So that term is actually kind of catching momentum even outside the church. And before we get started, I wanna say, I think the term generational curse is a little bit weird. Like to me, it kind of sounds like when you were a baby, Harry Potter or Lord Voldemort came into your room and cast a spell on you and now you're cursed forever or your you know, great-grandfather was in the attic one day, he knocked over a box and a Ouija board fell out, and now your family's just cursed. I think it sounds weird, and I don't think it actually gives us a clear picture of what's really happening. I prefer the term generational patterns. So how do we handle the generational patterns in our life? So if you wanna go with me to 2 Kings chapter 22, we're gonna find the story of King Josiah there. And as you go there, maybe just put your finger there or just have it up on your phone. But to talk about the generational patterns he inherited, we kinda of need to talk about his family line a little bit. So, 
Josiah's grandfather was a guy named Manasseh, King Manasseh, and you're going to remember his name because King Manasseh was nasty. He was one of the worst kings in all of the Old Testament. He did a lot of terrible things, but most notably for what we are going to talk about today, he took a kingdom that was focused on the one true God. They had the temple of the Lord, they worshiped him, they served him, and Manasseh decided, you guys know there's like all these other gods out there. All these nations around us, they have a God for the sun, and they have a God for the dirt, and they have a God for this and a God for that. Why don't we just add some of those in too? We're missing out. Now, you and I can probably figure out that was probably a bad idea. And one of the things most noticeably that King Manasseh did is he put up what is called an Asher pole in the temple of the Lord. And if you're anything like me, you have no idea what an Asher pole is. Don't worry, I looked it up. Really, it was like they would take a tree trunk and carve into it the image of whatever God it was meant to represent. It was an idol, essentially. And so Manasseh makes one of these Asherah poles, puts it up in the temple of the Lord. He dies, and his son, Amon, takes the throne. And we don't know a whole lot about Amon. There's not a whole lot said about him other than he followed in the footsteps of his father, Manasseh. So what Manasseh starts, Amon continues, and then, then we arrive at Josiah. So Josiah inherits this Asherah pole, idol-filled kingdom. And again, we can, from context, kind of figure out that that's probably not a great place to be. But believe it or not, it's actually even worse than we would think. Because generations and generations before, all the way back to Moses, when God was kind of establishing this was his people, he said, hey, I'm going to be your people, and I'm going to give you a list of guidelines to follow to keep you safe. It's like when uh, parents, you let your kid go outside, and you say, hey, stay between this tree and this tree, because within here, you're safe. And those things are called the Ten Commandments. You've probably heard of those before. And one of them was this. It's found in Exodus 20, verse 4. You don't have to turn there. It'll be on the screen. I'll read it to you. You shall not make yourself a carved image. Whoops. Manasseh screwed that up. In other words, you shall not make yourself an Asherah pole. And any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth, you shall not bow down to them, nor serve them. Now, I'm going to assume because they put it in the temple that they intended to worship it. Otherwise, that's kind of a weird place for it to be. So this is bad. It actually gets worse when we continue reading verse 5. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me. If you read that verse like I do, that sounds kind of unfair. Is God saying that because they have put up this Asherah pole that the next several generations are going to be punished for what the father did? Because if you read that, it's definitely unfair, but also it seems contradictory to the God that I know and the God that we read about in Scripture. And it's actually this verse, and there's a couple other in Scriptures that are really, really similar to this verse that we get the entire idea of a generational curse. Obviously, something is being said here that one what one generation does can affect other generations. And so we kind of need to stop here and think about this verse for a second to really understand what we're dealing with when it comes to generational patterns. And there's a few words in here that are very important. And that is visiting the iniquity of the fathers. 
And I know that word iniquity is not one that we usually use. It's used a couple other places in scripture. So if you've been in your Bible, you've probably heard this before. And it seems like those two words, or that word is kind of used interchangeably with the word sin. It's like sin, iniquity, it's kind of the same thing, but it's not. And there's actually a really distinct difference. And it's important for the way that we're going to understand this verse. You see, I think we all know kind of what sin is, right? It's the act of missing the mark. It's doing something against what God has called us to be, right? So if a sin is the action, and iniquity is actually the heart issue that causes it. So if sin is the hand, the iniquity is the heart. An easy example for us to understand the difference is cheating on your spouse, sin. Lust is the iniquity that leads to it. So what this verse is saying is that iniquity is actually the problem because the iniquities, the heart issues, the inner brokenness, those things become strongholds in our lives. And so what God is saying is that if you step out of the guidelines that I'm setting, I'm telling you, stay within this, you'll be safe, you have a great life. But if you step out of it, you're opening yourself up to danger. And that danger is gonna become a stronghold. And that stronghold is not only going to affect your generation, but it is gonna affect generations and generations to come. And that word visiting is really interesting too because it's almost as if God is saying that if you step out and you insert this brokenness into your story, that I'm gonna be able to come back for generations and visit your family line, and they're still going to be dealing with what you introduced. What we do with our lives matters. Because it not only can affect our lives, but the generations to come. And this is exactly where we find Josiah. Literally, Manasseh broke one of the Ten Commandments, and it is the commandment where he said, hey, these iniquities that you introduce are gonna affect generations to come. So what does Josiah do? Well, let's find out. 2 Kings 22, starting in verse 1. Josiah was eight years old when he became king, and he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. His mother's name was Jadida, daughter of Adaya, and she was from Bozkath. And before you ask, yes, I had to look up how to say all three of those. And no, I'm not sure if I'm still saying them right, but you get the point. Verse 2. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. And you see, remember... What I said was, this series has been interesting because we're looking at kings and queens and we're actually learning a lot from what they get wrong, but it says immediately, the first thing it says after we're introduced to who Josiah's family is, is that he did what was right. And so if I am a person that feels like I'm dealing with some generational patterns, I'm paying attention to Josiah's story. It says, he followed completely in the ways of his forefather David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. And what's interesting about that phrase, not turning aside to the right or to the left, is there are actually two accounts of Josiah's life. There's one in 2 Kings, the one that we're reading today, and there's another one in 2 Chronicles. And both of them start with that phrase, that Josiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, followed completely in the ways of his forefather David, not turning aside to the right or to the left. <laughs> so that statement has got to mean something. It's got to be significant because it's used twice. And I'm sure this is what you thought of when you hear that phrase, but it reminded me of driving school. Because in between the slightly traumatizing videos of what happens when you drive drunk, and you know those that haven't been remade since the 60s, and I'll be honest, maybe slightly trying not to fall asleep, I remember a phrase that was, when you're driving, you need to aim high and aim ahead. And what they were talking about was when you're learning how to drive, people have this tendency to look directly in front of their car at the road that's right there. 
And they try to use the line right here and the line right here, right in front of them to kind of guide whether or not they're in the lane in the middle. You ever follow somebody like that that's in their lane, but they're just all over the place? So frustrating. And that's because they're looking too close in front of their car. And you're like, oh, well, that's actually how I drive right now. But they're teaching us that, hey, if you will aim high, look further down the road at where you're going, your car will even out and you'll go straight and everything will be fine. Now, what does that have anything to do with breaking generational patterns? Well, I bring that up because there is a trap on our road to breaking generational patterns that wants to pull us to the right and to the left. And I'm willing to bet that almost every single person in this room and watching online has fallen into this trap. It sounds like this. You ever said this? Man, I will never be like my mother. I will never act like my father. Man, I'll never talk to people the way my grandmother does. Man, my grandfather, man, uh, I will never be like him. Why is that a trap? It's actually really very simple. You don't get to where you want to be by focusing on where you don't want to go. You didn't get in the car this morning and say, hey, we're going to church. Hopefully we don't end up at Kroger. <laughs> no, you had a destination in mind. And the trap that so many of us have fallen into and fall into again and again is becoming so tunnel vision on just not becoming one thing. And meanwhile, we are pulled off the path that God has for us and into this tiny little mission and we shrink our entire purpose in life to just not becoming our mother. Meanwhile, we miss the entire calling and purpose that God has for us. It's a trap. You see, because in reality, you become what you focus on. You become what you focus on. And so if you spend your entire life analyzing every little annoying thing that whoever it was did, guess what? You're going to see every little teeny tiny way that you're exactly like them. And you'll drive yourself insane. Because it'll happen like this. You'll be sitting down for breakfast one morning, right? Eating the same thing you eat every morning. You know, this is a regular Tuesday. You know, some fruit maybe and some toast and a nice cup of coffee. They're going to realize this is exactly what my father had for breakfast every morning, too. I'm just like him. And when in reality, who cares? Because, you know, maybe you've heard this argument of nature versus nurture. Is it something, these generational patterns that are inherited through DNA, through nature? Or is it, are we a product of our experiences? Is it nurtured into us? Well, the reality is, is that most of us in this room have both. And so there's a real good chance that you're gonna have some similarities to whoever it is that you don't wanna end up like. But if you've become so tunnel vision and so tunnel focused on just not being them, every little thing that you're similar, it's gonna crush you. And it's gonna distract you and it's gonna pull you away from the plan and the path that God has laid out for your life. And so instead of falling into the trap of, I'll never be like them, how about we aim high and aim ahead on the calling and purpose God has placed on our life, and in doing so, we'll avoid the generational trap. Because the reality is, is that every person that's gone before us that has repeated the pattern also said, I'll never be like whoever. It's a trap. 
So let's get back to Josiah. We need to summarize a little bit of his story to get to where we need to be. And so Josiah, as we just read, takes the throne when he is eight years old. I'm so glad that I didn't become king of anything when I was eight years old. And so eight years into his reign, when he's 16 years old, he makes a decision. Because, again, his kingdom is full of all these idols and these Asherah poles. There's the temple there of the Lord still. And within the people, there are these stories of the God of David, the God of Moses, the God of Abraham. And he sees the temple, and at 16 years old, he decides, I want to follow that God. And I'll tell you what, there's something that gets this next-gen pastor excited about when a 16-year-old decides of their own accord that they want to go against culture, they want to go against the way that everybody else is going, and they decide to follow after the one true God. But there was a problem. You see, their version of the Bible, what they called the Book of the Law or the Book of the Covenant, had been lost. They misplaced it. They didn't know where it was. And for them, it was actually only the first five books of our Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. That's what they had, but it was lost. And so for the next 10 years of Josiah's life and the next 10 years of Josiah's rule, he does the best he can to try and figure it out on his own until he's 26 years old and it comes time to spruce up the temple, right? We've been updating this. We've been updating that. The temple, man, that hasn't been touched since Manasseh was around. There's shag carpet in there. There's wood paneling. It's awful. We need to get that out. We need to put in some luxury vinyl plank. We need to paint everything agreeable gray and put in some white trim. You know, bring up the curb appeal of this place a little bit. And in doing so, guess what they find? The book of the law. That's so weird. Who put it in the temple? That's stupid. Why'd they do that? But that missing roadmap that Josiah was looking for, he finally finds. And so here's what he does. He pulls together the priests and the prophets, and they get together, and they begin to dive in to the words of Scripture. Let's see, let's see what's in here. Let's see what we should be doing. Let's, you know, let's get back to it. And I think maybe they get to words like we read earlier in Exodus 20. And we see this moment where Josiah is heartbroken. He's devastated because he sees the way his kingdom looks compared to the words of Scripture, and he tears his robes in frustration and heartbreak. And I think this just reiterates what Jessica so beautifully put last week, is that we can only really get a clear picture of our lives if we compare it to the words of Scripture. That the only real way to get an accurate picture of who you are, who you are becoming, and really whether or not you are carrying one of these generational patterns is to get into Scripture and let it point out things in your heart. To get into His Word and allow God to do surgery on the broken places in our heart. But also I think there's another reason that we see Josiah is frustrated. And that's because maybe he's realizing that for the last 18 years, He's allowed the same patterns to continue under his rule. And I think you and I have to understand that if we are not careful, if we don't be intentional with the way we live our lives, we will continue the pattern. That it's maybe not enough to just say, well, that could never be me. Actually, it could. It could. If we don't do something different, if we don't humble ourselves and have a responsive heart, then it's real easy for us to continue the pattern. And listen, if I was a lesser preacher, I would say something like this. Each of us have the propensity to perpetuate the pattern. But I won't say that. 
And it's at this point that Josiah is faced with a decision. And it's the same decision that a lot of us face as well. What are we going to do? Josiah could take the posture of a victim. Well, this is Manasseh's fault. He's the one that put up all this stuff. Amon didn't do anything about it. I just inherited it. I didn't make any of these decisions. This is Manasseh's fault. This has nothing to do with me. I, why, why, uh, no, I'm just a victim. And the reality is, that's completely true. That there are many of us in here that we experienced things, that we were exposed to things, there were things said to you, done to you, that in the moment you were a victim. You didn't choose any of that. You can't choose your family. You didn't choose the kind of house you grew up in. And so that is the more natural approach that we will take to these things. But the problem is, is that doesn't break patterns. So Josiah could take that route. We can take that route. Or we can do what Josiah did. He decided that he was going to act like the king. That he was going to step into his God-given authority and decide, this is my kingdom. I decide what happens next. I will decide the patterns, the habits, the Asherah poles. I will decide if they stay or if they go. And that is the same decision that you and I have to make. Are we going to live as victims? Are we going to step into our identity, our authority as a king or a queen? And we get to decide from here on out. I cannot change anything that the previous kingdoms did, the previous kings and queens of my life did, but I can't decide what I do from here on out. Because, you know, in this series, we're talking about how we are in so many ways the kings and queens of our own life. And to take that idea a step further, you have inherited a kingdom, could I say? That the same way Josiah came to the throne, he inherited a kingdom that existed long before him. That you have inherited a kingdom. And can I remind you that you're going to pass on a kingdom? That your life not only affects your life, but the decisions you make now, the way you live your life will affect generations to come, and could I say even affect generations that you'll never see? And so Josiah makes the decision to step into his identity as king. So what does he do next? Well, if we flip forward to 2 Kings chapter 23, we find in verse 1, the king, that's Josiah, called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. He went to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the prophets, all the people from the least to the greatest. He read in their hearing the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. The king stood by the pillar and renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and keep his commands, statutes, and decrees with all his heart, all his soul, thus confirming the words of the covenant written in this book. Then all the people pledged themselves to the covenant. We see this moment where Josiah steps into his authority and makes a decision. We're not going this way anymore. That this is how Manasseh did it. This is how Amon did it. This is how my father, this is my grandfather. But I'm going to be different. And I'm going to do something different. And he decides in the presence of the Lord that he is going to get back to the original covenant. And it's this beautiful picture of grace, grace and a fresh start to where, hey, God, I know previous kingdom screwed it up. I know that I even have been continuing in these patterns, but right now I'm going to make a decision to follow you. 
And of course, God gives him grace, shows the people grace. And Josiah is given a clean slate. And I know for so many of us that that's what we want. We want a clean slate for nothing more than just, can I just have a fresh start? Can I start over? And this sounds really easy and really elementary, but can I remind you that's available to you in Jesus every single day? I know that sounds super easy, and, but the reality is, is that the process, the process of breaking generational patterns is messy, and it's difficult, and we're going to mess it up. But each day is a new opportunity to try again, to have a clean slate to say, today I'm going to move a little bit closer to health. Today, I'm going to move a little bit closer to my God-given potential and my God-given purpose and leave the old patterns behind. And so that's what Josiah does. But Josiah actually takes it a step further because it's one thing to have a clean slate with God, to pray and receive grace. We got to start there. That's one thing. But it is an entirely other thing to create a clean slate with your life. to with your life decide, I am drawing a clear line in the sand and saying the ways of the old kingdom, the way things used to happen, die with me. And that going forward, things are going to be different. So what does Josiah do? Let's skip down to verse six. This is what he did. He took the Asherah pole from the temple of the Lord. You remember earlier when we talked about Manasseh put up an Asherah pole in the temple? It's this one. He takes that Asherah pole, he goes back to the one that Manasseh put up, Generations before him, he takes it to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem. And really quick, what's the Kidron Valley? It's referenced a whole lot in scripture. It's the Valley of Death. It literally was a graveyard. It's where they went and buried people. He takes the Asherah to the Kidron Valley outside Jerusalem and burned it there. He ground it to a pattern and scattered the dust over the graves of the common people, Josiah decided that it is time for the old ways to die. It is time for the old patterns to end. It is time for the old habits, the old addictions to die. And I love the imagery of he takes it to a literal graveyard and burns it and decides that's not enough. Then he grounds it to a powder. Man, sometimes to get rid of these things that have plagued our families for so long, we have to get radical. To break a pattern that nobody else in your family has been able to break, you have to be willing to do things that nobody else has been willing to do. You have to be the one that takes the extra step. You have to be the one that does the thing that makes you vulnerable, that makes you uncomfortable. You're going to be the one that's actually going to get honest and say, maybe I need to sit down with a pastor or a leader in the church and and just talk to them about where I'm at as a first step. Or maybe you're going to be the one that's going to be vulnerable enough to actually talk to a counselor about the crap you're dealing with. Maybe you're going to be the one that's finally going to be willing to say, nope, I need some help. I'm going to check myself into rehab because the old patterns die with me. And that going forward, these things are not going to exist. And what's crazy is, is that as Josiah does this, revival begins to spark throughout the kingdom. And that as he begins to tear down the old ways and tear down the idols and tear down the Asherah poles, that revival begins to spark and the kingdom begins to walk in more and more blessing. 
What you do with your life can affect not just your life, but generations and generations to come in ways that you may never even imagine. And I know for so many of us, that is the legacy that we long to leave. That we want to be known in our family as the King Josiah. That there was something that shifted while it was our turn on the throne. That old patterns, they just seemed to go away and were replaced with new ones. And what's funny about Josiah's life is you would expect that at the end of his life, that's what's said about him. That you would think that the Bible would say, oh, King Josiah was the greatest king to ever live. He renewed the covenant with God. He led the people back to the Lord, that he tore down the Asherah poles, that he demolished old strongholds. And that's not actually what the Bible says. That at the end of both accounts of Josiah's life, Right before we're told how he dies, this is what it says, and it's far more significant than anything he actually did. In 2 Kings 23, verse 25, neither before nor after was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart, with all his soul, with all his strength. His life was not marked by what he did, but it was marked by who he loved. That it was his intense devotion to the Lord that enabled him to become the pattern breaker. And that you and I in here have struggled with, what am I gonna do with my life? How am I gonna end these problems? How am I gonna fix all this? And there's a process you need to go through, but it starts with this. Can you just fall madly in love with Jesus? Can you fall head over heels in love with Jesus? Can it be said of you that never before in your family line has someone been so devoted to the Lord? Because that's actually what enabled Josiah to become the pattern breaker. And it's actually way more significant than we even think. You remember that verse earlier we read in Exodus 20? For I, the Lord, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquities, right? Where we kind of started with what introduces a generational curse or a generational pattern. Well, I played a little trick on you. I stopped that verse early, and we need to go back and visit it to see why this enabled Josiah to break generational patterns. Exodus 20. For I, the Lord, am a jealous God. We read this already. Visiting the iniquity of the father upon the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me. Verse 6. But, man, I feel the spirit of Sir Mix-a-Lot coming over me. but showing mercy to thousands, to those who love me and keep my commands. It takes one to change the trajectory of a family line forever. It takes one King Josiah to say, never before has somebody served the Lord like I will. And you think an iniquity, man, that can struggle, that can create struggle for three and four generations. Well, what does it say? If one will turn to me, that'll affect thousands. And so what will you do with your kingdom? What will your kingdom be marked by? What are you going to do with the kingdom that you have inherited? And what kind of kingdom are you going to pass on?
Would you all stand with me? And maybe right where you're at, just close your eyes. I really believe that for some people in here, this is a special moment. That this is a holy moment. That there are generations to come. There are children that haven't been born yet, haven't even been dreamt of yet, that will be affected by what is going to happen in this moment. That going forward, maybe your life won't be perfect, you're gonna struggle, it's gonna be a rocky road, but generations are gonna be different because of the decision that we can make right here, right now. This is a moment for us to reflect. What shape is our kingdom in? Not to say that in any way we have to be perfect. Perfect is never a part of the equation. But are there some Asherah poles that have been set up by previous generations that we're allowing to remain? Can it be said of us that never before has someone turned to the Lord the way we have? It's in a moment like this that you get to choose what kind of king or queen that you will be. Will you allow patterns to remain or will you create with your life a clean slate? In a minute, we're gonna pray and I want you to pray in agreement with me that from this moment on, things will be different. That it's a moment like this that actually can change the trajectory of your life, can change the trajectory of your family line for generations and generations to come. So when I pray, I want you to pray in agreement with me. Father, it's in this moment that we collectively, we just turn to you. We turn to you like no one else has before. We give you our entire heart, our entire soul, and with all our strength, we are devoted to you. And Lord, we say, that generational patterns, the generational habits, that addictions that have been plaguing our family for years in the presence of a mighty God are broken, that they no longer have a hold on us, that you, Lord, are giving us a clean start, a fresh, clean slate to try and try again. And God, we believe because of the work you're gonna do in our life, generations to come are gonna be different, that they're gonna thrive like we never had the opportunity to. And God, we believe that where we were handed a curse, we are going to pass on blessing. Where we were handed an addiction, we're gonna pass on freedom. Where we were handed brokenness, we are gonna pass on healing. That generations to come will be stronger and better because of what happens here. Come on, do you receive that today? Do you receive the blessing of the Lord? that happens when we turn to him.